Well, here we are in the Sermon on the Mount. I want to share with you um, two men from from the early, early days of of Christianity. The first one, uh, his name is St. Anthony, called St. Anthony of the Desert. This is a 17th century painting, but Anthony, St. Anthony, in 270 AD, he left the city and he moved to the desert, the Egyptian desert. He wanted to escape the immorality and the feelings of lust that he experienced by separating himself from the world and its temptations, literally left society, left all people, and lived alone in the desert. Now, you'd think that having done that, he would be free of temptation, free of the struggle that all of us experiences with sin. But by his own testimony, he was never freed in all that time from the cares and the lusts that so many of us or all of us face. He fought to escape it. But this is what he said. He said he went to the desert, and lo and behold, the God of this world, Satan, had no difficulty finding him there. Wherever you go, we are faced with our human condition. We are by nature sinful. We are by nature a people who experience lust. And we first see it in the scripture in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve was, were, were tempted by Satan. The Bible said that they looked at that fruit that they were not supposed to touch. You remember the story? God said, you can eat anything you want in this garden. It's all yours. The only thing that you can't do is eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it was on that point that Satan came along and said, did God say that, really? And you know the, con- you know the conversation that happens. And the next thing you know, Adam and Eve are experiencing what the Bible calls the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And they cave in. And that's the end of their life in the Garden of Eden. Now, why would St. Anthony, what would make him think that if he left, if he left the city with its many temptations and moved to the desert, what would lead him to do this? Well, I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 5. And I'm going to just warn everybody today that this is a difficult passage. It's very difficult indeed. But if your spirit has been touched by the Holy Spirit and your heart is open to hear the truth, then I believe that God will show you the truth and you will understand what is God's will. And here's what Jesus says in Matthew 5. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say... Anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So, if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown 
into hell. You see what I, why I said this is a difficult passage? Now, I, I just want to say before we go any further that Jesus didn't literally mean that you should chop off your hand or gouge out your eye, but we will explain this in just a few moments. Unfortunately, there is a man who didn't quite understand what Jesus was saying. His name is Origen. He's another church father, and he also goes back to the third century, and he's called one of the, the church fathers. He's a, a theologian. He's a scholar, and he's been described as, quote, the greatest genius the early church ever produced. Now, he was so convicted by this passage of Scripture that I just read to you that he actually had himself castrated, hoping to be rid of sexual temptation. This is how seriously he took this. Now, some years later, he did say that you'd have to be an idiot to do that. But nevertheless, uh, in his younger years, this is what he did. Now, the question this morning is this. How do we deal with sin in our lives? How do we deal with temptation? And the thing is, is that we all face it. Every one of us in this room can continually faces the temptation to sin. It's a continuous thing. Do we need to follow the example of St. Anthony or St. Origen? How do we deal with this? And the, the way that we're going to look at this and, and understand this is, first of all, we need to talk about what sin is. We need to understand exactly what we're talking about. Uh, here's what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 27 to 28. You've heard that it was said by the ancients, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You'll notice that I put by the ancients in brackets. Some uh, versions of the scripture leave that out, uh, maybe because it seems confusing, but we need to include it there because we have a contrast. We have what the ancients say versus what Jesus says. The ancients, in case you're wondering, would be the, the old rabbis and the teachers of the law of God, the teachers of the Old Testament. So Jesus is saying, I am now going to tell you what I have to say. He's establishing, Jesus is establishing himself as the authority. He's saying what I say now trumps what anybody else has ever said about what God wants. So here we are. The ancient rabbis, the, the emphasis is on the seventh commandment. If you know the Ten Commandments, you know the seventh commandment says, thou shalt not commit adultery. But, I, but Jesus is pointing something out, and it's something that we all need to understand. Like all false religion, the emphasis is always on external actions. It's what you do. There's not a lot of talk about what, what you're thinking or what's in the heart. It's all about what you do. You shall not commit adultery. The teachers of the law were not talking about the condition of the heart. Now, I want to stop for a moment. I want all of you to think about that for a moment, the condition of your own heart. Two weeks ago, we talked about, about anger, and Jesus said, if you're angry at your brother, that's equivalent to murder. That's shocking stuff, and it's hard to take. 
And yet, this is what our Lord teaches us, that if you hate your brother and you, you hold hatred in your heart, then you are a murderer. Jesus says, but I say to you, I am, I am now over the teachers of the law, everybody who's come before me, including the giver of the law, Moses. But I say to you, what I have to say to you is this. Don't congratulate yourself on your outward appearance or on your actions. There's a lot of people who will say to me, Pastor, don't give me that gospel preaching. Don't give me that. Don't, don't give me that. Because I'm a good person. I, I've heard this so many times. I'm a good person. I've never murdered anybody. And yet, if you say that to Jesus, Jesus will say, did you ever hate anybody? Well, then the answer is yes, you are a murderer. We love to justify ourselves and excuse ourselves by saying that I'm a good person. But Jesus would say, according to the Sermon of the Mount, that's not true. You're not a good person. You may live better than a lot of people, but the fact of the matter is, in your heart, you have sinned against God by your hatred of your brother. Jesus, in this passage, says, let's not just remember the seventh commandment. Let's remember the tenth commandment as well. Because the tenth commandment is very damning. The 10th commandment tells us not to covet our neighbor's house, not to covet our neighbor's wife. There it is. Jesus brings to bear on the subject, not just the things you shouldn't do outwardly, but he talks about the things that you shouldn't do in your heart. And that is to covet your neighbor's wife, to lust after your neighbor's wife, because lustful intent is as though you actually committed the sin. That's pretty powerful stuff. It's a difference, folks, between Christianity and other religion. Jesus makes it clear to us that all sin originates in our hearts. Any thought of sinful acts, sinful deeds, any imagination, any thinking on the subject, Jesus says, is equal to the act just by imagining doing certain sins is sin. That leaves no one innocent. That means everybody here is guilty. This is what Jesus wants us to know. And the apostle Paul points that out, doesn't he? He said, there's none righteous. No, not even one, except Alan Dungaff. These teachers of the law, they wanted to appear perfect. They wanted to look like they were, they'd got it all together and they were most godly, the most spiritual. Everybody would just bow before them. They were, they were the, the pride of the nation. But Jesus exposed them for what they really were. They were, they looked great on the outside, but inside they were dead. He says, you're whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look great, but in the inside, you're dead. Listen, this is what Jesus is saying to all of us. And so it's very, under, very important that we understand exactly what sin is. And by the way, you can understand then why the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, hated Jesus and wanted to kill him. They, Jesus was exposing them for the hypocrites that they were. What is a hypocrite, by the way? A hypocrite is somebody who's acting. That's, where the, that's the root word of hypocrite. You're an actor. 
You're acting the part, but in fact, you're dead inside. You're full of sin. This is what Jesus is exposing. So that's the first thing you need to know about sin. We need to call it what it is, and we need to understand that that explains who we all are. We're sinners. The next thing you need to understand is that sin is, in fact, union with death. When Adam and Eve chose to disobey God in the Garden of Eden, they chose to reject their, their union with God. Remember, they were one with God. They walked with God. They fellowshiped with God in the Garden of Eden. They were one with God who is what? The source of life. It's not, it's not a coincidence that Jesus calls himself the life, the way, the truth, and the life. And Adam and Eve enjoyed that union with, with life with God. But here, here's where it ends. Genesis chapter 3. God warned Adam and Eve if they took that fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in that moment, they would surely die. And by die, he meant physical death. That's when physical death entered in. And also spiritual death. That would be the moment that they were separated from God, that that union would be broken. You need to understand that that's what sin is. Sin breaks our union with God. Remember, we were created in the image of God, created for union with him. If you look at who God is, sometimes we call God the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are one. They are unified. And those of us who are Christians, those of us who have put our faith in Christ, we've been unified with God. That moment that we choose sin, what we're doing is we're choosing to to be disconnected from God and, and connected with death. So my question for you today is this. Are you one with God? Or are you disconnected from God? I can tell you this, those of us who have entered into union with God through Christ, through putting our faith in Jesus, we have experienced life. And uh, last year, right around this time, we just finished completing a series called This Is My Story. And we heard testimonial after testimonial of people who had experienced Christ, who became Christians, and they told their story how their life was radically changed. What happened? How did their, how did their life become so radically changed? How is it that they, they gained such happiness and joy in their life? Well, I'll tell you very simply, they rejected death, they rejected sin, and they accepted Christ. And they entered, spiritually speaking, back into the Garden of Eden. This is what we need to understand. This relationship with God, where God directs us day by day and moment by moment, is is the most thrilling privilege that any human being can experience on this planet. Now, sadly, there's a lot of people that don't understand that about Christianity. They think that the Bible and Christians are all about rules. Don't do this. Don't do that. You can't be this. You can't be that. That's not what Christianity is at all. We all understand today that following Jesus Christ is the source of life and joy and peace. 
These, this is the evidence that you are born again. This is the evidence that you put your faith in Christ, that you have, in fact, rejected death. Ah, sin, a sin of adultery. And you could add, certainly add fornication. Fornication, in case you don't know what that means, is simply all sexual sin that is against, obviously against God's word. All of this is, in fact, a union with death and destruction. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Today, we are so, we've become so calloused to to adultery, to fornication, to lust. This is a regular part of everybody's day nowadays nowadays in North America. It's on TV, it's on the internet, it's on your phone, everywhere you look. This is what we're facing. It's a tough thing. We We need to admit that. The question is, how do we deal with that? Well, I'm going to talk about that more in just a few moments. But first of all, I got to add one more thing. Something that you need to understand about sin. Jesus declares that every one of us is a sinner in need of God's forgiveness. Two weeks ago, we learned that Jesus equates being angry at someone as murder. And now Jesus is saying that just looking at someone lustfully is the same as adultery or fornication. John MacArthur, some of you know who he is, a pastor from California, he says that by this definition, we are all murderers and adulterers. So if you came to church here this morning for the first time, welcome to our church full of murderers and adulterers. (laughs) You are welcome. But don't get too uppity because you fall under the same category. So what do we do? If this were the end of the story, it would leave us pretty hopeless, wouldn't it? We would have, we'd have no reason to go on. We'd, we would lose our joy. But the good news, folks, is that at this church, we preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It doesn't stop here. The declaration that you are a sinner, that you are a, a murderer, an adulterer, a fornicator, uh, that's not the end of the story. At this church, we tell you that that we have a Savior. His name is Jesus. We have a Savior who delivers us from our sin. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, who is our righteousness. What does that mean? Well, let me read this verse from 2 Corinthians 5.21. For God made Christ who was perfect, he never sinned, to be the offering for our sin. That is, Jesus laid down his life and paid the penalty that that our sin deserves. What is the penalty of sin? Death. That's what Paul says. The, The wages of sin is death. So God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So here it is, folks. Jesus declares that all of us are sinners, even the teachers of the law who think they're perfect. These are sanctimonious people. Some of you remember Saturday Night Live, remember the church lady, the church ladies. They think they're, they think they're good, they think they're the best, they, they look down their nose at everybody else, and the fact of the matter is, Jesus says, we're all in the same boat. All of us are sinful. 
There is none righteous, not even one. The gospel says this, that when you and I put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we believe in Jesus, God counts Christ's righteousness as our righteousness. Did you get that? So that when God looks at you, what does he see? He sees Jesus. In fact, the Apostle Paul says it's like putting on the Jesus robe. You, you literally are wrapping yourself in Christ. That's hard to understand maybe, but everybody understands what it is to put on a coat, and it protects you, doesn't it, against, against the cold. And likewise, when you put on Christ, it protects you against the penalty of sin, which is death. So those of us who put our faith in Christ, even though we die, no problem. Because we know that because we put our faith in Christ, heaven is our home. And we will spend eternity with him. So when you put your faith in Christ, you receive his righteousness. And in that moment that you receive the righteousness of Christ, the Bible is clear that we return spiritually to that place called Eden, where Adam and Eve walked with God and enjoyed the fellowship with Almighty God. And I'm going to tell you this today. Because you and I were created in the image of God, our hearts crave fellowship with God. Now, this might, be, this might all be difficult to understand this morning, but, but know this. There is, in fact, a God-shaped hole in our hearts that only God can fill. And the way that he fills that heart that hole in your heart is by putting your faith in Jesus. It's in that moment that we are back in fellowship with God. So we understand then that sin uh, is something we all experience and it's something that we are all guilty of. We understand that sin is union with death and we understand that Jesus has declared us all guilty until we put our faith in Christ. But how do we deal with this sin? Because as we sit here this morning, I know this is something that all of you are wondering. How do I deal with feelings of lust? And maybe some of you today are, are even guilty of engaging in adultery, not just in your heart, but actually, or, or some sort of sexual sin. Well, Jesus tells us what we need to do. And this is quite shocking. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that you, your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now, the thing that you need to see, first of all, is that Jesus repeats himself twice. He, he really, this is a, a teaching method to, to drive home the point. There is a punishment for sin, Christ tells us. And by the way, at, in, in our church, as you know, we believe what Jesus says. We don't try to excuse it. We don't try to make excuses. We don't try to, to, to gloss it over. We take Christ at his word. And Jesus says there is a penalty for sin. 
By the way, if there were no penalty for sin, there was no penalty, there was no death for sin, then we wouldn't need a Savior, would we? This is why, this is why at Christmas time, which is coming up very quickly, this is why at Christmas time we celebrate the birth of Christ. Peace on earth and goodwill towards men. What is that about? It's about the fact that a Savior has come to this world to save us from our sin and to restore us to fellowship with God. There are some who want to pervert the doctrine of God's grace. They don't want to think about the punishment for sin, and they say, well, I'm no longer under the law, I'm under grace. And we talked about this about four weeks ago, didn't we? This idea, this notion that the Old Testament, we just wash it all away, and uh, we don't have to worry about that anymore because we're under God's grace. In case you don't know what grace is, grace is just is, is God's, God's love for us. Some call it God's undeserved love for us. And it does say that we are under grace, but Paul says in Romans 6 that just because you're under grace, that doesn't mean that's a license to go on sinning and doing whatever you want. The evidence that you are converted, that you're born again, is that you don't want to sin. You want to run as far away from sin as possible. But still, some pervert that doctrine of God's grace. We call this antinomianism. It's a, we're, we're a, it's a heresy. It says that we're, we, we, we reject the law. No, Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill it. I came to live in you by my spirit to enable you to live the life that God wants you to live. Hey, listen, I know some of you are thinking today, who can live like this? And the answer is only somebody who has received the Holy Spirit. And that was God's great promise. And we saw it happen in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the early church. The Spirit of God came now to dwell in people's lives, enabling you and me to live the way Jesus called us to live. This is the gospel. This is the good news. You don't have to live this life in your own power and in your own wisdom or strength. You've got supernatural power dwelling in you, enabling you to live the life that God wants you to live. So if sin doesn't grieve your heart, if you're not upset by your sin, then you're not converted. Those of us who have been converted, I'm going to tell you, we have learned to live humbly and live repentantly. That is, we're, before we were converted, we were walking this way, and then when we became a Christian, we repented, and repentance means you're turning and going the other direction. You've heard me say this a hundred times. Those of us who understand our need of God's grace, those of us who understand the penalty of sin, we work out our salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Not because we're afraid of God, but rather, look at this, we take seriously what Jesus tells us, that there is, in fact, a penalty for sin. This trembling is the attitude Christians are to have in pursuing this goal of following Christ wholeheartedly. Now, sometimes we fail, sometimes we fall short. And I know some people who think, you know what, I tried the Christian life, I can't live it, it's hopeless, there's no point even going on anymore. Please understand something. 
you will not be perfect in this life. Does everybody get that? You remember we said when you become a Christian, you have been saved for eternity. So as far as God's concerned in heaven, you're saved. On this earth, we are being saved. You get that? It's now, but not yet. It's an important theological uh, doctrine. Sometimes we call it the doctrine of sanctification. God is purifying us. He's working in us. And even though you fail and fall short every day, and you will, and I do, I'm, I'm the pastor of this church, and I sin every day. I, fail, I fall short all the time. But God in his mercy and his grace is working in me. And even though I fall short and I sin every day, the good news is I'm, I'm better today than I was yesterday. And I'm better this week than I was last week. And I'm better this month than I was last month. And I'm better this decade than I was the decade before. Why? Because God is at work in me, transforming me, changing me, and making me more like Christ. And, and when God's ready to take me home, I'm ready to go. Why? Because I was good? No, because I put my faith in the one who is good. His name is Jesus. This is our hope. We put our faith in the righteousness of Christ. So what do we do? You need to understand the penalty of sin. Folks, don't ever forget that. Don't ever, don't ever say, well, I'm under grace. I can live as I please. You can't. That's not biblical. It's a, totally against the word of God. That's how you deal with sin. First, you need to understand for how terrible it is and that there is a great penalty. The second thing you need to understand is that you need to be prepared to take drastic actions. So just look at this. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. The right hand and the right eye uh, were understood to be the skillful eye, the skillful hand. And in singling out the right eye and the right hand, Jesus is saying that even if it means that you lose your career because you've lost your skillful hand and your skillful eye, it's better that you lose that than offend God and go to hell. That's what he's saying. Now, I'm going to say, even as I'm saying that, listening to that, listening to, uh, listening to myself say it, it's a very shocking thing. Now, Jesus is not saying, go home and cut your, look, don't anybody come here next week without a hand <laughs> or with a patch over here. Please don't do that. But understand that Jesus is calling for drastic measures in our lives. We've got to take this serious. We've got to take steps to protect ourselves from the effects of sin. When I went to Bible college, preparing for the ministry at age 18, I made a decision when I went to Bible school that I would not be watching TV anymore. And it's hard to believe that, dare I say it, in 1983, it's a long time ago, isn't it? It's hard to believe that in 1983, there were things on TV that were just as suggestive and just as... Uh, as evil then as they are today. Now, you know, again, as I say that, it sounds ridiculous because, because it surely couldn't be that bad. But you know what? Our hearts are so calloused now that anything goes and it doesn't disturb us. Gloria and I noticed that when we came back from the mission field. We were visiting, the TV was on, and they were just sitting there just shocked at what's coming over the, the, the airwaves. Folks, listen, 
your hearts can easily become very calloused. And Jesus is saying, you and I need to take steps to make sure that our hearts are not calloused, that we do whatever it takes to make sure that we don't miss out on eternal life. Remember, the evidence that you're converted is that you hate sin. And even more importantly, that you hate sin in yourself. It's so easy to judge other people, isn't it? Sometimes Christians get, get accused of that. And rightly so. We're so busy accusing everybody else. That's what the Pharisees were doing. We're so busy accusing everybody else of, of sin, we fail to see it in our own lives. You may not do bad things, but even thinking bad things, Jesus says, is equivalent to the act itself. This is revolutionary stuff. So what steps do you and I need to take? One of the things that we teach here on a regular basis is the habit of having a daily walk with God. I can tell you that if you're praying and reading your Bible every day, it'll transform your life. So important was the, was the practice of prayer and the word that in the Jewish faith, right after Ezra, some of you know uh, Ezra in the Old Testament, they began to institute a daily time of prayer, morning, noon, and night. And in the Talmud, it says that Abraham instituted the morning prayers, and then Isaac instituted the afternoon prayer, and then Jacob introduced the evening prayer. You and I need to stay in close fellowship with God. Show me somebody who's backsliding. Show me somebody whose heart is far away from God. I'm going to show you somebody who has not been doing their devotions, who has not been praying and reading their Bible every day. That's the beginning. And the good news is that if you're walking with God every day, that you're not walking with Satan every day. You're walking with God every day, then you're not left to your own perverted appetites. That's right. The second thing that you and I need to do is we need to figure out what habits and behaviors have got to change. Charles Reed said this. He said, we sow a thought and we reap an act. We sow an act and we reap a habit. We sow a habit and we reap a character. We sow a character and we reap a destiny. My question for you today is what will your eternal destiny be? Jesus tells us how we need, what we need to do to make sure that our eternal destiny is heaven. What, what habits need to change in your life? What behaviors? You need to think about this because you know that you're, you, you consistently get into trouble because of bad behaviors, because of bad habits. This is why we teach at our church the seven habits of a Christ follower. You need to put this into practice. I had somebody phone me this week saying, Pastor Allen, you have no idea how the seven habits has, has transformed my life. These new habits now have saved me. And I'm going to tell you, this is exactly what you and I need to do. We need to take these drastic steps 
pluck out the proverbial eye that's causing you to sin. Cut off the proverbial hand that's causing you to sin. Do whatever you need to do. And then finally, you really do need to find out what needs to be cut out of your life. For me, it was TV. And some of you do know that I do have a TV now, but it's only for watching the news. It's literally all that I watch on TV. I want to know what's going on in the world. My kids can't be bothered. Dad, Nicholas keeps saying, Dad, you may as well just cancel. Why do we have cable? Well, because I have to watch the news. <laughs> but for some of you, you can't even watch the news. It, it, it's so distressing. But you need to figure out what needs to be cut out of your life. And so here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to have a discussion at your house. Have a discussion with your wife or your husband or with your kids. Find out what needs to go. Cut it off. Gouge it out. Get rid of it. Do whatever you need to do. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Let's pray. Stand with me, please. Father, thank you for your word. It really is a lamp for our feet. Thank you, God, for teaching us the truth that sets us free. Father, this is very, very difficult teaching. This is not the stuff, Lord, that that we would call junk food. This is meat, the meat of your word. And Lord, although we may not fully understand it, maybe not even agree with Jesus, the fact is, is that we need to humbly yield to what Christ tells us. For in the teachings of Christ is life and joy and peace. So Father, we humbly Submit ourselves to you, asking that your will be done in our life. Open our eyes to see the truth. Open our ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us. And Father, finally, we want to say thank you for Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Thank you that Jesus washed our sin away. And thank you that when we put our faith in Christ, we have this abundant life. And we pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? God bless you.